and welcome into the Christmas week episode of Automatic. And we are excited to be celebrating this time of year, obviously. And Steffi, what's the big plans for you this week? I, I know your sister's got a ton of kids, so I imagine there's going to be a lot of toys everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of toys. Uh, my sister has four kids, so... I told her anymore, you're going to make me go broke during Christmas, birthdays. <laughs> exactly. Gotta, you know? But I think the most fun is uh, is I bought them a ramp for their bikes. I was really into BMX growing up. Ooh. Fun fact. I, I wanted to be in the X Games. So I uh, got a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. Got them a ramp. Going to get them started with that. I think they'll like it. Don't you think? I mean, oh, yes, of course. But your sister is going to be sitting there like, hey, now, wait a second. You know, when they start breaking arms and legs, because, uh, you know, it's one of those situations where out there, you know, Auntie Steffi's trying to teach them to be on the BMX no. moves <laughs> you know on that on ramp. ramp. Oh, yes, I know but you are. The difference is it has like a little middle piece. So like you can go up and down where like, you know, 15, 20 years ago, my brother and I would go to like houses being built and we were building our own ramps out of plywood, <laughs> exactly. you know, like just what kids did. And yes, that, you know, the, the, the wood would break. That, that's how, you know, my mom took my bike away from me. Too many falls. And that's how you get hurt with those makeshift yes. ramps. It's different yes. now. And they've got pre-manufactured ramps that you can purchase, which are a little bit different, but I know they're definitely going to be excited. And now I'm going to put you to the test, though, right here. And you don't know about this test. So this is spur of the moment. Now, a lot of times we are uh, preparing in terms of setting up a guide for what the episode we want to do. But now I'm going to grill you with some questions you don't even know about. And so... We know it's Christmas time here, so Christmas music-wise, what's your top three Christmas songs? Top three Christmas songs? I wasn't a fan of Christmas music for a long time. Oh my gosh! I'm like the Grinch. I know, <laughs> I know. Not my jam, but now that I live near my nieces and nephews, we listen to the Elf soundtrack. Of course. There when you we go. drive through the house. So yes. I've got to say, like, some of the music from Elf <laughs> and Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas. Well, you can't go wrong I mean, with those that. Are solid. That's a solid choice. Yes, a, a real solid choice. There. Now, for me, I'm always kind of going back to the old school. I love rocking around the Christmas tree, Brenda Lee, the Jingle Bell Rock song, okay. uh, Holly Jolly Christmas. It's those type of tunes. And you also, you can't go wrong when you throw in some John Lennon there, Happy Christmas, and that whole tune. So I know there's a ton of Christmas songs out there, uh, but. No, you sound like my aunt. <laughs> you sound like my aunt. <laughs> yes. Christmas lights out four months before Christmas. She's got the Christmas music blaring. I'm like, hey, can we tune it? Can we just calm it down? Pump the brakes a little. Nope. Now, I agree with that, though, in terms of now I'm a stickler about you can't start Christmas music until at least after Thanksgiving. But for me, preferably on December 1st. So that's when you can start Christmas music, in my opinion. But once it's Christmas time, you can get crazy. I'm all in right now during this Christmas time as we're getting ready for Christmas. And again, go ahead and blare all the music. Now, eggnog or no eggnog? Oh, no, that's a good question. And typically, I am a no eggnog type of person. Okay, uh, plot twist. Yes, but I would have to say... I thought you'd be into eggnog, but okay. No, I, I definitely not. I do love sweets, but I also am not a big person in terms of mixing my sweets and alcohol. I, I'm okay with a, a little bit of eggnog, but I don't need any alcohol in it. We can separate the sweets <laughs> and <laughs> alcohol adult beverages. 
I was going to say, if you, some people need a little bourbon in their eggnog, but that's, it ain't me either. No. It's, I don't, it's too sweet. It's, I don't, you know, you can put alcohol in almost anything now and of shakes. Of course. And you can go and get like a vanilla ice cream <laughs> shake, put some alcohol in there. I'm like, I just want ice cream. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> just give me give me the ice cream man. yes exactly i just want to satisfy my sweet tooth right now yes i don't need to worry about the alcohol and the sweets at the same time so i, I agree with you a hundred percent right now but let's dive into some basketball because this is a special time of year obviously uh basketball is really ramping up but i would have to say you know is it really ramping up i, I don't know steph just in terms of the craziness that's going on right now with so many different cancellations forfeits trying to get games re scheduled. I mean, it's just absolutely bizarre. And we're recording this on Tuesday, December 21st. And over the past weekend, we've had at least like 13 different cancellations on the men's side and 17 more types of situations we're trying to look to reschedule. And that's just in terms of what we know right now. And it's only going to get worse. So who knows as this week continues, it's just craziness all the way around. Yeah, I was looking it up to try and get a hard number and it said in the first six weeks that more than 50 games have been impacted. And uh, right now on the men's side, there's 43 teams that are currently paused. So kind of we blinked. Everything was smooth sailing in November and we hit December. And now there's, I, I don't think there's a ramp up. I think there's almost a slowdown. Now the good, the caveat here is we're entering conference play. So it's not like flying across the country for all these non-conference MTEs. But we're doing, we're staying within our bubble, within our conference. So maybe, you know, that is better. I don't know, Rich, what do you think? Yeah, I don't know. It's really hard to say because I think now you're looking at these conferences and the rules that they have, there's really no leniency. So if you have a COVID issue, even if you are in somewhat of a bubble and don't have to travel as far, I don't know if it really matters because if you have a situation where you have to put players in protocols, then you're the team that's causing the cancellation. So it's a forfeit, and that means a loss. Uh, you look at the situation where in the ACC, Boston College and Wake Forest just had a game that was canceled, and per ACC policy, that is a loss for Boston College. And so now right. you're going to, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out as the season progresses, and obviously in standings and how that impacts going into conference tournaments and where those seedings come out you know, from that perspective. So I just think it's going to be crazy when you're looking at all of that and like this past weekend where we big had games, this big, big, yes, this big yes. anticipation of a big MTE event out in Las Vegas was one of them. You know, so a lot of big games, especially, you know, we're talking about what we talked about on the podcast last week on the men's side, Ohio State was playing Kentucky, UCLA and North Carolina were going to be playing. Well, both UCLA and Ohio State have COVID issues. So now all of a sudden that you're sitting there that there's not going to be games, but at least fortunately yeah. we were able to play one game, North Carolina, Kentucky, but North Carolina gets blown out. And so this is where that balance of talent versus preparation calls. Think about it. North Carolina, they've been sitting there preparing for UCLA and all of a sudden they have to play Kentucky and it's a totally different matchup. So, I mean, how's that you know going to be affecting each and all of these teams? First of all, we're penalizing teams for being safe, testing, abiding by the rules, and then they have to forfeit and they, and they take a loss. That, to me, does not make sense. Um, that, that's got to change or there's got to be some sort of amendment because, you know, I was listening to Chris Mack of Louisville who, you know, they're, they're dealing with the same thing. And, 
you know, he said there's there's certain teams around the country that have players that don't have any symptoms and still have to be in isolation for 10 days. You know, he said that that's hard to understand. Last year, there was no vaccine, which you get. But now you tell a player, hey, I know you feel OK, but you've got to stay in your room for 10 days. That's really tough for not only a coach, but for a player. I cannot tell you how many players I talked to last year that maybe maybe they had the first round of COVID and it was was tough. They got through it, and then it was contract tracing, and then they were stuck in the room for seven days. We're, we're not talking about the mental wellness. Very good point. I mean, we can all, we can all sit here and talk about the, the physical impact of COVID if you get it and your symptoms, but the asymptomatic players that are locked in their room for 10 days, that's not good for a player. No. At all. I, it, it is... It upsets me to talk about because I think about what if that was me and I was still playing and I was completely fine and I couldn't leave my room for 10 days. Yeah, I think a lot of players would actually go bonkers. I mean, j- just think about it. It has to have a toll on somebody, on some of these players. And especially, we know a lot of these players, they're type A type of players, very competitive. And also, there's big personalities that feed off of being around people. They feed off of being involved in a team or, you know, they're in that situation where their support system is their teammates and their coaches. And then all of a sudden they're being isolated. There's no question about that. It really has to have some type of effect. There's no doubt. Um, and, and the majority of these players, you know, you're reading each team is 99% vaccinated and boosted, 100% vaccination rate. And, you know, for someone who's not sick and has to sit in the room, th- then you're talking about your the ebbs and flows of a regular season. Now you're f- afraid of who you come in contact with. Am I going to be in isolation again? Like players were so fearful of that last year. Yes. You know, it was terrible for them. I mean, and it was like <laughs> trying to get through the season. You, you know, I know with Tennessee, when they traveled um, up to Nashville to play and their game got canceled one hour before the tip, you know, think about all the fans and everyone that paid money and traveled to get there. And there, there's so many layers to this. But exactly, as everyone knows who, who's listening, you know, COVID is something that is here with us. It'll be here with us. And I just hope that we can come up with something that is better geared for the players and coaches for their longevity and their mental health and their physical health. I think that we're doing a good job of trying to manage it within a team, try to stay kind of in a bubble. But I think everyone kind of felt like, hey, with vaccines, all the fans, like it was, we were doing good. And now it's just downslope. You know, I want players not to suffer like they did last year. Because it's something that it was like, we got through it. And I think that that was the highlight, Rich, right? We got through it. We crowned a champion on the men's side and the women's side. Yes. But I didn't really hear a lot of like, this is how it affected me personally. And there's just been things that have come out since the last season, just from players and the sharing their stories and their struggles. You're like, wow, to go through this almost, what, another year, two years, three years? Yes. I mean, it's a it's a cumulative effect that can happen. I mean, it starts building upon itself. And I, I think you saw some of that in terms of starting to hear some of the coaches speak out a little bit, like Chris Mack and even Frank Martin, who South Carolina men's team was all set to play Clemson this past Saturday. And then there's a COVID situation within their program. Four players are in the protocol. They already had two players that weren't going to be able to play due to injury. So now they're six players down, and there was a decision that needed to be made if they were going to play the game or not. And kudos to Frank Martin that they still decided to play, and Clemson allowed them to play, and they moved the game time from 8 p.m. to 6 p.m. on Saturday. 
Clemson ends up winning 70 to 56. But basically, South Carolina didn't have enough depth to continue that game, especially how physical Clemson was during that game. And Frank Martin talked about just even before the game that something's got to change because of the vaccination protocols right now. And you've kind of talked about that as well. And the current COVID protocols based on players and coaches that have already been vaccinated. And remember, Frank Martin, he's speaking from experience. He's been double vaccinated. He's already had COVID twice and he's getting his booster apparently next week. But if he was in that situation where he tests positive, even though he's asymptomatic, he has to sit out for 10 days just like his players would have to be out for 10 days as well. And right now, that just seems so asinine that we can't have a meeting of the minds to come up with uh, another way to look at this. Because, again, we're not in the infancy stages of trying to understand COVID anymore. We have a lot more information, and we've got to change the policies. Or we're going to be in a situation where we're not going to be able to play the games. And that's what Frank Martin is basically saying. And he's even saying, hey, you know, we're going through these, going to these arenas as well. Now, and there's no testing policies for yeah. any of the fans yeah. coming in, and they're all allowed to come in, And but the players, they're going to be punished based on their situation, even though they're vaccinated, test positive, they're asymptomatic, and then they're the ones who have to it's, suffer. It's doing the same thing that we did last year, despite yes. the fact that all these players are vaccinated. And I just think that, you know, Coach K, he talked about um, more mandatory testing, you know, I think certain coaches have floated these options out here, and I'm just collectively the NCAA, and it does it vary conference to conference. You know, then we've got conferences handling it this way, this conference is handling it that way, and I thought that that was a mistake last season. I thought maybe we could just go a, a t- totality of a, a strategy, uh, but here we are. I mean, last week, Rich, we were talking about the buzzer beater where all the fans stormed <laughs> storm the court and now we can barely get through a day without cancellations i know and and that's why i'm even having trouble at times if we talk about certain games on the podcast that once we record and release it it could be completely outdated or irrelevant because the game is canceled and that's just the reality of the world that we live in right now and you know for steffi and i we're, we're not trying to be here and make political statements on vaccinations or being unvaccinated. We're just trying to make a point that we're in a situation where now you have to reevaluate the protocols because of the information that we have today and being able to make a much better educated decision based on the knowledge that we have. And right now, we just haven't seen that. And it's going to have more unintended consequences unless we do something. And I think part of it, what you mentioned, is some of the mental health side of things and and just the frustration, and somebody's going to lash out at some point. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, it, there's nothing political really about how I feel. It's, it's more like just looking out for the players. That's, that's all I really care about. Is you know they, they sacrificed so much last year just to get through a season, and this year, and especially you know with t- having to take a loss when you're doing everything you can to stay safe, protect others around you, and, and you get a, you get a forfeit and a loss. It's just, it's got to piss you off, and. You know, football, pretty easy, right, through the season. Yes. No pauses. I understand it's an outdoor sport. There's differences between indoor and outdoor. And, you know, I, I don't know necessarily the testing policies that were in place for college football, but for college basketball, the past two weeks have just been remarkable to watch unfold. I understand there's a new variant within um, COVID, and it's obviously going through our country right now. And you've got to take things seriously. And I think players do and coaches do. They're not out there partying, doing crazy stuff. Yes, players are, yes, of course. They want to play. That's right. So that's, that's I've only ever advocated 
for players' health and safety and making sure that they're good to go and, and taken care of because that's what you know matters to me. So we'll, we'll see, Rich. I, I do hope something gives. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And again, hopefully there is that meeting of the minds and hopefully we can turn this corner and be able to play these games, the games that we love, the what we want to see, these star players, these teams that are loaded, the teams that have a chance for a national championship, and also these coaches that are doing such a good job in terms of getting their teams prepared in all of this chaos. And obviously now we're getting into conference play, but we're going to switch gears a little bit and hopefully share a little bit of some of the positive things and our team of the week. So Steph, your team of the week on the women's side. My team of the week is the Georgia Lady Bulldogs. Ooh. They took it to NC State on the road, had an yes. 82 to 80 victory. Uh, I don't know if anyone saw just the Sarah Ashley Barker uh, heave at the buzzer to tie the game, which was unbelievable. Insane. Insane. And it, it felt like a, a game in April. Uh, you know, I watched it back and I was like, damn. I mean, both teams. You know, it kind of had those early game vibes on the men's side when you had the Blue Bloods playing against each other. and It was just like back and forth. Duke, Gonzaga, you know, that guy, that game to me felt really like an April game. This game um, in particular had that vibe as well. Jenna Stady had 21 and 11 when it was going up against Elisa Kinane for NC State, who's a projected top five pick. So I think this, you know, I, I'm watching Georgia. I'm like, okay, do they put South Carolina – is that the threat in the SEC? Ooh, interesting. They take down a top 10 team like NC State. I, I think that they kind of themselves in the conversation of, you know, a, a, a team to beat within that conference because, you know, obviously South Carolina uh, has been unbelievable and dominant so far this season. But a win like that for Georgia makes you kind of tilt your head back and forth and go, okay, maybe they can contend with South Carolina. So that's my team of the week. I like that because I was thinking that if there was going to be a team in the SEC that it would be Tennessee that could compete with South Carolina, but maybe Georgia is climbing the ranks there. They're floating under the radar. Okay. They're floating under the radar, so that's why I think that win was so big for them. Yes, I can definitely see that. All right, now on the men's side, the team of the week that I have is a team that many people might not be really focusing on, and that is Western Kentucky. They had a huge game this past weekend against Louisville. And in the midst of all of the destruction in the whole state of Kentucky, and this is one of those type of games, this is what you love about the beauty of sports in terms of, at least for a moment in time, being able to divert the attention of all of the deaths that occurred in Kentucky and Bowling Green, where Western Kentucky is located, is just a few miles from where everything happened in terms of all of the destruction, basically the center of where these tornadoes started ripping through the state of Kentucky and such a huge win against Louisville, 82 to 72. And this was a game where you had a lot of excitement because Louisville typically does not come to Western Kentucky to play. So kudos to Chris Mack for getting on the road and scheduling that game. There was a lot of hype for this game in terms of the governor was there. There was also a local company that was going to donate $500 for every free throw that the Hilltoppers made, raising money in terms of the tornado victims. So it was only fitting that Western Kentucky came out 
and hits nine three-pointers in the first half, and they never trail in this game. And this was that opportunity where you get to see them get their first win over Louisville in 13 years after nine consecutive losses, and the first win in Bowling Green since 1950. So this was a special moment. This was a really special moment for the Hilltoppers. And Cameron Justice reintroduced himself to the country with 25 points, shooting 7 of 12 from the field and 5 of 7 from beyond the arc. And also, it didn't hurt that Malik Williams was out for Louisville. I mean, he is their star player, obviously, uh, but he was out due to COVID protocols. But also, this is a team that beat Ole Miss by 23 in Atlanta at the Holiday Hoops giving. So, I mean, you've got a team that's really good. And you also have Jamarian Sharp. He's 7'5". And it's pretty obvious when I say that he leads the nation in blocks. Well, well, they they forced... Uh, you know, because of his height, you know, Louisville took 36 threes. I mean, you can imagine why. Uh, seven foot five. <laughs> didn't yes. want to go inside. No, they couldn't yeah. go inside. Exactly. No, they they had to stay outside and they could not go inside. And so, you know, I just thought it was a great scenario to see the community come together, everybody celebrating a big win. And again, just to take the mind off of everybody just for a little bit. And the fans got to celebrate all of that, and remember the local company that pledged five hundred dollars for every Hilltopper free throw. Well, Western Kentucky made twenty-five free throws in the game, so do the math. That's twelve thousand five hundred dollars. Thought it was just a great way to end that game in that day. And so, my team of the week: Western Kentucky University. All right, Steffi. So those were our teams of the week. Now let's move to the game of the week, and we almost have to put this in asterisks because. We say what we think is going to be game of the week, but we're just hoping that there's no COVID issues that pop up as we look at these different games of the week. So for the game of the week this week, it's Arizona and Tennessee. These are two top 20 teams. And now Arizona is putting its undefeated record with a cross-country trip to take on number 19 Tennessee in Rocky Top. Now we've seen an incredible start for Tommy Lloyd's first season as head coach going to 11-0 and he got road victories over Illinois. Neutral site wins over both Michigan and Wichita State. So this is another opportunity where you get to see what the team has right now in their first year going up against Rick Barnes. Yeah, you know, Arizona has won won those games, Rich, by an average of 18 points, right? So they've kind of handled all of their opponents. This, this I feel like, is going to be, you know, a true challenge to see what, Tommy Lloyd is made of and his staff and and the preparation that's going to take to go into this game, assuming it'll be played. We hope it'll be played. Um, You know, earlier in the year, Tennessee, it seems like has those slip up games. Yes. Right. Throughout their, their non-conference. Remind me of the tournament that it was the Jimmy B classic. It was an MTE. Who do they lose to? Yeah, They lost to Texas tech. I think, I I just think Tennessee feels like it's got to play with an edge. I mean, their back's against the wall, right? Going over, everyone's talking about Arizona and what they've been able to do. And um, I think that Tennessee maybe puffs its chest out a little bit. Okay. Well, I think I'm going to go against the grain here with you. You're going with the favorite? Uh, well, I don't know about <laughs> the favorite necessarily, uh, but I think I am going to go with Arizona because 
on a neutral site, Arizona would be the clear-cut favorite. I get that. And even at Tennessee, I know Tennessee's really good at home. They're 11-6 and six against top 30 Ken Palm teams over the past five seasons. And as you know, Steffi, you've been to this arena. Thomas Bowling Arena is a big college basketball arena. Seats over 20,000 people, and those fans get after it. But I just think when you look at it, what makes Arizona so difficult is their size. Yeah. And when you've got six foot eleven Azulis Tabellus, who's averaging 16 points per game. Then you've got seven foot Christian Coloco, who's averaging almost 14 points per game. I mean, that's a intimidating front court. And I don't know if anybody in the nation can defend with. And I think that's what's going to give Tennessee problems. Yeah, I mean, the way that Arizona defends and the pace with which they play, averaging over 91 points a game. I mean, that's certainly um, something that I think Tennessee is going to have to deal with. But at the same time that they've had those ebbs and flows, it's sometimes I, I just feel like they, they sneak a game that maybe they weren't supposed to win. So, I mean, I think it's going to be, obviously, I think it's going to be pretty close. Uh, you could be right with Arizona, safe bet, but um, I'm, I'm going to roll, roll, the, roll the deck with Arizona or with, uh, with Tennessee. Okay, so you're going with the Vols. Well, if there's a guy that can do it, I do know it, it is Rick Barnes because we've seen what he's been able to do, not only during his time at Providence, at Clemson, at Texas, and now even at Tennessee. He's always put together a stellar cast of characters, and you can look at right now. I mean, even star freshman Kennedy Chandler is averaging almost 15 points per game, and then also you know Santiago Vescovi. I mean, with those two guards, I mean, anything can happen, and especially when you've got Rick Barnes on the side. Lines. But again, I think it's going to be a close game, but Arizona is going to win this one. But it will be a really good game from that perspective. It's not a bad bet. I just think Tennessee's had some time off, longer time to prepare. Rick Barnes, we'll see. Freshman's got to take care of the ball, though. Yes, that's right. And also, there's some other kudos to give to Rick Barnes. As you mentioned, that Tennessee-Memphis game being canceled one hour before the game was set to tip off. And so what does Rick Barnes do? Knowing that there's fans already there, especially a lot of Tennessee fans in Nashville, he makes lemonade out of lemons. And I mean, he's in a situation where he decides to have an inter-squad scrimmage. And I think it is absolutely fantastic. I mean, that's the type of coach that Rick Barnes is, especially, you know, knowing that if you want somebody to win, maybe it is Rick Barnes. It's certainly the the challenges, though, you know, with all the stoppages and the pauses, you see a moment like that where coaches are able to pivot and the players get up and and they scrimmage each other because they know that they had all the fans there to watch them. So sometimes you see, you know, positive moments, silver linings in a difficult time. Yes, always trying to find the positive things in those adverse situations. And I think it's also a teaching moment for those players, too, to see that you can be flexible and that you can pivot. So great job by Rick Barnes. All right. So the automatic for the week as we are wrapping up here, I'm going to jump in here first, Steffi. And, you know, obviously, I think this is just so easy to say, and it's probably way too easy to say, but we're going to see more and more games, unfortunately, canceled, rescheduled, and teams having these forfeits on their schedule. And that's just a bummer in a big way. But I think, unfortunately, we're going to continue to see some of those things. Well, yes. And I hope that we can take a look at some of the protocols and really nail down as we head into winter, you know, really solid strategy to keep student athletes safe the coaching staff safe and everyone surrounding the teams so that we can have a a safe season, but also players can play. Uh, My automatic is we've got a great game tonight on the women's side, South Carolina taking on Stanford. 
um, our guest, Andrea Carter, who was set to join us. She was assigned that game last minute, and she was on a plane, uh, delayed multiple times. I was trying to get with her, and she's at shoot-around, all that today, so unfortunately we couldn't get with Drea. We will. She is a superstar at ESPN. She's everywhere right now, so I guess we'll excuse her, but she'll be um, on this. <laughs> yeah, and so we're going to have a bone to pick with her. I can't believe that she is prioritizing that game versus being a guest on the podcast with us. <laughs> she did say she was sorry, but I mean, when you're thinking about the, the matchup of South Carolina and Stanford, the, that rematch from the Final Four game, everyone saw Leah Boston in tears with uh, the, the putback that she missed, but she did get the steal, which got them in that moment. And uh, South Carolina, I think the automatic for the week is they stay um, undefeated. I mean, Stanford's good. They just beat Tennessee. They're coming off that uh, a good win against the Lady Vols. But I think that South Carolina just is too much the role. And I think that's going to be either their fifth or sixth win over a top 10 or 11 team. I mean. <laughs> yes, that's going to be their sixth win over a top 15 team. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, and hopefully we'll see Destiny Henderson tonight, the point guard. She's been out. Um, since late November, and she's a difference maker for them. But again, another opportunity for Don Staley and this South Carolina team to show just how dominant they are. And uh, I think they'll they'll get the win and head into conference play as the the favorite to win the title. So it's going to be a fun game to watch, and we'll see if I'm right. And they're going to be a heavy favorite to win the title, especially if they get this win. Because when you look at it, I think this is a team initially – that I was thinking that could go wire to wire being ranked number one. And again, I know there's going to be some tough teams ahead of them still when you mentioned Tennessee and maybe a surprise pick, Steffi, uh, that under the radar with Georgia and see what they were able to do, obviously beating North Carolina State. But South Carolina looks very, very good because of their balance and their depth as well. All right, Steffi and everybody, that is it for us with this Christmas edition. And if you haven't already, please follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast and let us know your thoughts by rating and reviewing. And as always, thanks for investing your time to listen. Merry Christmas. And this is Automatic.